dismiss our uh, children for our children's Sunday school this morning. Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Brother Dries has our new lesson. It's a lesson 13, our last lesson in our series on our journey of faith. And if you don't have one of those, if you put your hand up, he'll get one to you. Lesson number 13. We'll start today. Give Brother Dries a moment. He's a little bit slow. He's getting old. How many of you notice he looks older today than last time you saw him? Brother Dries had a birthday. He's, uh, was it 57, Brother Dries? 65 years old today, and uh, he's accepting uh, gifts of large sums of money as a present. Anyone else still need a lesson? Lesson 13. And turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Luke in chapter 24, we... As a nation, we looked last week uh, towards the coming of Christ, and today we look at Him going to the tomb. And I praise God this morning as we begin this lesson on the journey to the tomb, that we know that He did not stay in the tomb. Look, if you will, with me at Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. Now, upon the first day of the week... Very early in the morning. Now, if it was a teenager writing this, that could be 11.59. That'd be very early in the morning, Brother Royce. Uh, For some of you, very early in the morning might be a little earlier. But very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices, which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in. And found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Let's pray together. Lord, what a wonderful day. The dawning of a new year. Lord, on this Lord's day that we can come together, starting off another year together as a church family, Worshiping you, praising you, Lord, this morning as we come to the teaching here, as we look at the journey to the tomb, Lord, as we think of these ladies who would make their way to anoint your body, Lord, to find an empty tomb, Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in our faith and our walk of faith. Lord, I pray you'd work in our hearts. Lord, I pray for our young people as well in our children's Sunday school this morning. I pray you'd be with them, Lord, that they would learn all it is that you have for them, that they'd be encouraged and challenged. Lord, would you work in every aspect of our services today. And Lord, help us to keep you the focus. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever been to Texas before? 
I've been one place in Texas. I've been to Houston, Texas. I've only been inside the airport in Houston, Texas. I've never been outside of an airport in the state of Texas, but I have been to Houston, and I've been there a couple of times to the airport. Now, I was not able to travel around and see the city. All I saw was the inside of an airport. But in Houston, Texas, uh, there is a very odd place. Now, there's probably a lot of odd places in Houston, uh, but there is an odd uh, museum and maybe an unconventional is a better word, an unconventional museum. Uh, I've been to some unique museums. I've been to uh, a farm museum in West Virginia. We have a place called the West Virginia uh, Farm Museum, and I've been to that. I've been to uh, all kinds of different uh, dinosaur museums. I've been to natural history museums. I've been to all kinds of unique museums, but there is a museum in Houston, Texas that is geared towards uh, honoring one of our most important cultural rituals as a people. And that ritual is burial. There's a museum in Texas, in Houston, that is the National Museum of Funeral History. Now, how many of you like to plan your vacation, your next vacation to go there? Uh, Mark, you're probably thinking about going there right now. But the National Museum uh, there in Texas of the funeral history. Now, it's not a, a creepy, spooky type place. Uh, rather, they just have very unique uh, pieces of history uh, there about uh, our burial uh, history and our culture. Uh, there is a solid glass coffin there on display. Uh, how many of you are interested in maybe getting one of those so people can see you? Uh, there is a casket for three. I guess that's handy if you're a mass murderer and you want to plan ahead. Uh, there is there an actual casket for three. That's a replication of one that was actually used. Uh, there is a collection of hand-painted coffins and caskets from Ghana, uh, West Africa. Uh, there's small signs throughout this little museum, a uh, very eclectic museum, that says, please do not open the coffins. How many of you would be tempted? I'd probably be tempted to open the coffins. And there's a large display of funeral vehicles as well here in this very unusual uh, museum. Uh, there's a sleek black funeral sleigh uh, there in that museum. Uh, there's a hearse. They have a couple different hearse that have carried different famous people, uh, famous uh, burials, famous funerals of the past. Uh, there's also a funeral bus. This, this seemed like a great idea. They created, uh, once in history, they designed a funeral bus, and the bus was designed to carry the coffin and the mourners and the, the preacher to go to the to do the gravesite. That way they'd just take one vehicle. You wouldn't have to have a procession of vehicles. And then everyone would get out. They'd carry the coffin and, they'd, and get back in the bus and go back to it one place. It was used one time. And because of the way it was built and because it was the weight capacity really wasn't built to carry the weight they put in it, it rolled and it was a, a tragic accident. Uh, there was at least one dead person inside of the bus. You'll get that later. But that bus is on display there at that museum as well. Uh, now, 
can I tell you that that museum is pretty odd. I can't imagine there are many people that go, man, I want to spend my holidays in Houston. I want to see that pretty amazing museum. But the fact is, uh, as we think of our customs and our culture of burial, and in the West we have a culture and a custom of burial, by the way, that is different than the custom and culture in Jesus' day. Uh, we oftentimes we think of Jesus being lowered down into a hole in the earth, into a casket, but understand that was not the culture uh, or the custom of burial in the day. The culture was, though, just as our culture is, to honor, to honor the dead. My father yesterday went to a funeral. It was a funeral for his cousin. And he was at the funeral, and I talked to him on his way home and, or last night, and my dad told me, he said, I learned something today. He said, as I sit there in the uh, funeral home, as they showed pictures on the screen, and those of you who have been to funerals, you know that oftentimes they'll have a video or picture memorial of that one that has passed. And my dad said, as I was watching those pictures, he said, some of them I didn't think were very good pictures. He said, I made a decision. He said, I'm not letting you or your mom pick pictures out when I die. He said, I'm picking them out now. He said, I'm going to get them ready. You don't have to do nothing. I'm going to pick the pictures I want up there. He said, they're going to be pictures of me with family. He said, that's it. Now, we all have different customs of remembering uh, the dead, honoring the dead. We come to a passage here in Luke 24 where we find some ladies who were going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in death. They came to bring spices and oils to anoint his body. They came to, in the best way they knew how, to honor him. Now, we know that Jesus did not stay in that tomb. Rather, he came out three days later, three days and three nights later, there was an empty tomb. We read about that here. But they came to honor him in death. In John 19 and verse 16, it says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Would you with me just for a second try to divorce, divorce yourself from the knowledge that Jesus rose again? And imagine just for a moment that you were a follower of Christ in the first century. Imagine just for a moment, if you would, that you had watched your Savior die on a cross. You watched as soldiers took his body roughly, probably tossed it into a wagon and hauled it to throw in the ground. You'd seen him die. That's the position that every follower of Jesus Christ was in. 
Imagine the despair. Imagine the devastation. As they saw him die. As they watched as the Roman soldiers pierced his side. After he was already dead. And blood and water came out. As they knew for certain without a doubt he was gone. Devastation. There was doubt. And yet, in the midst of great gnawing doubt, great depression, great darkness that they had never experienced before, we find yet there was a walk, a journey of faith. We're going to look at that this morning. I'm sure they thought that it was all over. Let me, let's get the timeline together just for a moment before we get into our notes today, just by way of a little bit of a, a foundation. Uh, if you want to write these references down, you can. I'm not sure if you have them there or not. But in Luke chapter 23, we find Mary Magdalene and the other followers of Jesus journeying to the tomb. We find them going to the tomb. We find Mary arrives before the other women in the party and sees the tomb open. Imagine when she saw that, guaranteed she thought, they've taken him. They've stolen his body. They've desecrated his tomb. We see that in John 20, verses 1 and 2. The other women then come and find the stone rolled away and the empty tomb. The passage we've just looked at in Luke 24, verses 2 through 9. Mary Magdalene then leaves, and she runs back to tell the disciples. We see that in John 20, verses 20 through uh, verse 1 and 2. Then Mary, the mother of James, draws closer and sees the angel, and then goes back to meet the other women. Following with spices, we see that in Matthew 28, verses 1 and 2. Then after that, Peter and John arrive at the tomb. I want you to get the picture here. This was a busy place. There are a lot of people coming. Peter and John arrive at the tomb and see it's empty and they leap for their homes. We see that in John 20, verses 3 through 10. Mary Magdalene then returns again back to the tomb and she sees two angels and then she sees Jesus. We see that in John 20, verse 17 through 18. Mary, the mother of James, meanwhile, returns with the women in Luke 24. We see here, they return and see two angels. They hear the angel's message. On their way to find the disciples, they're confronted with the risen Christ. Matthew 28, 9 and 10. Then later in the afternoon, two disciples walk with Jesus and break bread with him. And finally, he reveals himself. But there is an empty tomb. But no one knows about the fact it's empty yet. I want you to see with me this morning, number one, in our notes, the journey that these ladies took to the tomb was a sorrowful journey. Now, the tomb's empty. They don't know that yet. All they know is their Savior died. The Messiah is dead. 
All they know is the teacher, the healer, the miracle worker, the son of God is dead. And as far as they know, his dead body lays in a tomb. It was a sorrowful journey. The disciples and the followers, other followers of Jesus were devastated. They anticipated a kingdom. You understand these that grabbed a hold of and followed Jesus Christ were a people who were in subjection. They were a people who were being held down uh, by a regime of another country taking over and controlling their lives. Roman rule was the, the jackboot on their neck. And they were excited about Jesus Christ and they were expecting him not to die. They were expecting him to rule and reign. No, they weren't wrong. He's going to rule and reign, but not then. They're expecting him to, to rise up and take over and, and create everything perfect. As Jesus taught the disciples to pray, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. I believe those men that follow Jesus Christ really believe that Jesus was going to do that now in their presence, and they were hanging on to that, and then they watched him die. And their hope was gone. A dead man is not going to rule a country. A dead man is not going to overthrow Roman rule. A dead man is not going to bring about heaven on earth as far as they knew. They'd walked with him for three years. They loved him. They followed him. They served him. He had served them. They were close, and now he is gone. Every one of us, most likely, can understand the sorrow and the depth of despair that comes with the loss of a loved one. That empty spot left. That's the space they were standing in. They were standing in the space of mourning. They were standing in the space of darkness and despair. Their hope was gone. Their dreams were shattered. They had nothing left. And yet, and yet some ladies began to journey to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and others began to journey there to that place where they expected Jesus' body to be. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary, the mother of Jesus? Most likely, it, it very much appears to be the case that Joseph was dead already, had already passed. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said to John, John, behold thy mother, woman, behold thy son. He had told John before he passed, you take care of mom. But she's alone. I'm sure she didn't understand. The other ladies that walked toward the place of the burial. It's interesting to note the people that went to the tomb 
as far as we know from the Gospels, were the last ones to leave the cross. They went to see him. In Mark 16 and verse 10, it says, And as she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. It was a sorrowful journey because point number A, they were sorrowing the Savior's death. They were sorrowing the Savior's death. Luke chapter 24 verse 1 says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. Can I tell you when Jesus Christ met Mary Magdalene? She was a woman plagued with demons. And he set her free. He gave her a new life. Mary Magdalene was never the same woman after she met Jesus. That old Mary did not exist anymore. She was changed because of him. And as far as she knew, he was gone. We see that they were mourning the Savior in Luke 8, 2, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Why? Because of Jesus. She was changed from the one who was separated from God. Get this statement. Mary Magdalene was changed from one who was separated from God to one who was separated unto him. She was a close follower of Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. Played out. She found forgiveness through Christ. Mark 16 verse 9 says when she was risen the first day of the week, he appeared unto Mary Magdalene. The very first person Jesus said, I'm going to appear to, first person is going to see me, it was Mary. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't James or John. It wasn't his mother, Mary Magdalene. By God's mercy and through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Mary Magdalene had a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that when she began that journey to the tomb, she feared what the, that journey was going to be like without Jesus. She had not known new life without Jesus Christ. She had followed him from the moment he cast the demons out of her. No doubt she was fearful of that emptiness that would be left and she would be alone. She no doubt had sorrow for the death of the one who changed her life forever. It was a sorrowful journey. They sorrowed for the Savior's death, but let her be. In your notes there, they were surprised by the empty tomb. They were surprised by the empty tomb. In Luke 24 and verse 2, it says, And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabouts. How many of you have ever experienced that being much perplexed thereabouts? I love that phrase. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments and as they were afraid. 
they bowed their faces to the earth. Now, they were surprised but fearful. Surprised but fearful. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 1 through 4, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taketh away from the sepulcher. And she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Now, this is what blows my mind. And I want you to think about this reality. Jesus had already told all of those men and ladies he was going to die. He, he'd already foretold that. He'd foretold his death, and burial, and resurrection. He, he had already told them. But Christian, can I tell you, sometimes in trials, we lose perspective. We lose perspective of the facts. And fear can hinder our ability to remember the promises of God. We've all been there. We've all been fearful when we should have walked in faith. We have the word of God that tells us that we can trust him. And we've read it and we know it, but yet we come in the midst of the fog of the trial and discouragement. And we doubt. And we question. And we live in fear rather than faith. We see it was a surprising thing to find the empty tomb. Jesus has told them, by the way, in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and three days I'll raise it up again. By the way, he wasn't looking at the grand temple in Jerusalem. He was speaking of his body. He said, you, You're going to take and kill me, but I'll raise again three days later. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26, Verse 31 and 32, then, Jesus, then saith Jesus unto them. Now, now listen, this is, Jesus said this before he went to the cross. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And notice exactly what he said in verse 32. But after I am risen again. I will go before you into Galilee. Now they're walking in faith. But can I tell you, they're walking in faith and doubt. Because Brother Bonnie, they weren't walking to the tomb to say, hey, I'm sure it's empty, let's go make sure. They were walking to the tomb with spices to anoint the body. That's preservation. That was spices and oils to prepare the body to stay in that tomb. Can I tell you that they were walking in faith, but faith oftentimes married with doubt. They were surprised to find the empty tomb. His followers, as we see here in Luke 24, were planning 
to place spices on Jesus' body as one last demonstration of their honor for him. One last demonstration of their showing forth their love for him. Their hearts were broken, but they found the stone was rolled away. I'll share an illustration with you this morning. There's a story told of a, a group of kids in a children's primary school who had a show-and-tell demonstration. How many of you ever had show-and-tell when you were growing up? Remember that? You, you had that uh, in your school by the bonding? Did you have show-and-tell in the Philippines? You bring your spider to show off you know, to the school. Uh, Brother Joe brought his dinosaur in to show-and-tell. And there was show-and-tell at the school, and the first boy called to the front of the class stood up and he said, hello, my name is Benjamin. He said, I'm Jewish. And he said, I want to show you something that rep represents my faith. And he held up the star of David. All the kids clapped for him. He went to sit back down. Next, there was a little girl summoned to come to the front and show and tell. And She came to the front and she said, my name is Mary. And she said, I, I'm a Roman Catholic, and I brought something to show my faith. And she held up a crucifix, and she said, this represents my faith. Finally, there was a little boy called to the front named Johnny. Johnny walked to the front, and he said, hello, my name is Johnny. He said, I'm a Baptist. And he said, I brought something to show to represent my faith. And he held up a casserole. Now, he got it a little bit off. Now, tonight we're going to represent our faith with casseroles after the 4 o'clock service. But can I tell you that he was off when it came to identifying the actual, an actual symbol that represents what we believe. Much the same way. The disciples had gotten off. They missed the representation. They didn't realize the empty tomb was a great symbol. They, they were scared. They were upset. They should have been praising God. They should have been worshiping God. They should have been saying, he, he told the truth. He, he's not here for he's risen. Praise God. He did what he said he was going to do, but they were fearful. That symbol of the empty tomb was a fearful thing for them rather than an exciting thing. They got a little off. Can I tell you why? So often we get surprised when God keeps his word. Can I challenge you this morning as we begin a new year? As we begin a new year studying the Bible? As we begin a new year in our walk of faith, as we begin a new year as a church family uh, working and striving together to serve Christ and to honor Him and to uphold Him in our community, in our families, in our homes, in our world, may we stop being surprised when God keeps His word. May we just believe it. Just believe it. Probably the best illustration of loyalty we have in this world 
I was going to say humanly speaking, but not humanly, <laughs> is in a dog. How many have ever played fetch with a dog before? Take that ball, dog comes and throw the ball. My dog, we gave him this ball for Christmas. and My dog has some kind of mental illness. I'm not sure what it is. OCD, ADHD, ABC, XYZ. I don't know what he has, but he's got something wrong with him. And he got that ball, and he put it in his mouth. And on Christmas, he just walked back and forth all day, showing everybody. He just he fell asleep with it in his mouth. He, and he's done that before, except this lasted for four or five days. Uh, he was obsessed. He had to have the ball all the time, every day, just in his mouth. But eventually now, he's, he's getting a little better. We've, we take him to see a psychologist. He's doing a little better. But he'll let us now get the ball eventually and throw it, maybe once or twice. But many of you, you've taken a ball and you've thrown the ball for the dog and the dog is going to get the ball and, and they brought it back to you or maybe you have to wrestle the ball away from them. And how many have ever done the fake throw? That's a classic move, classic move. You get the ball and, and let me teach you how to do it. You put your hand back and right here, you open your hand, let the ball drop and you... There's nothing in your hand, but the ball drops behind you. It's, 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 a, it's a dad move. All of us dads can pull it off. The rest of you, you might be able to do it. I don't know. But, and the dog, what's the dog do? Most dogs, they take off running. For three hours. <laughs> Where'd it go? I mean, I know he threw it. I, wa- I watched it. He, was, he did it. Why? Because they, they just have faith. Oh, he threw it. We're just the opposite of that sometimes. God says something. He does it right in front of us, and we doubt. We doubt. Oh, yeah. I guess God's not going to do it, and God goes, I just did it. I believe Mary, these ladies, the disciples that would show up. They were staring at what God did. And yet there was still the element of doubt. Christian, as we stare at God's work and what God does in this year, if he tarries his coming, may we simply believe. By the way, when we can't understand it, may we believe. When it doesn't make sense to us, may we believe. Whenever it's not comfortable for us to walk by faith in this new year, when it's not convenient, may we just believe. These people were discouraged, downhearted, And when the Lord gave them the sign that should have relieved all their fears, they still hung on to some of their fears. Can I tell you, if you read this book, and I want to encourage you to spend time in this book in this new year, you know what you find out? You find out we can read the last chapter. We find out that one day we're going to be with him. 
One day we're going to get to cast our crowns at his feet and say, Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Worthy to open the seals of this book. Worthy is the Lamb. He's the risen Lord. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. One day he will rule and reign. One day what the disciples were longing for 2,000 years ago will come to pass, maybe very soon. Maybe within seven years from this very moment. But can I tell you that he said it? We can trust it. And we can walk by faith, believing and trusting in this new year. Lord, help us this morning. Lord, to have a walk of faith. Lord, as I think of these that came to the tomb, Lord, I, I see myself in them. Lord, I see how often we walk with a little bit of faith and with a whole lot of doubt. God, help us to go on by faith. Lord, help us as a church in this new year to walk by faith. Help us to serve together by faith. Help us to grab a hold of the truth of your word and believe what you said. Help us not to be fearful of the future. Lord, we have no right, no reason as followers of Jesus Christ to be fearful. Lord, we have no reason to be worried about the future because you've already told us what you're going to do. Lord, help us just to trust you. Lord, I pray you'd bless us. Lord, I pray you'd be with those traveling yet to be here this morning. Lord, I pray you'd bless every, everything said and done in this place. Lord, I pray for our young people. I pray you'd be up with the Colton as he leads our children's church in just a little bit. Lord, be in our service this morning. Lord, our baptism to follow. Lord, all that you have in store for this day. Lord, our service this evening, our fellowship. Lord, may we, as we begin this new year together as a church family, may we honor you. Bless us now, Lord. May you be glorified. In your precious name we pray.